Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out, Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He ducks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. Hello, Rody Nation, and welcome to another episode of the Rody Baseline. My name's Andrew. I'm joined by my co-host this week and every week, Gary. We got an action-packed episode for you this week. We got a lot to unravel in what was an interesting and up-and-down week for Rody Athletics. We got we had games last week against VCU and UMass with a couple games coming up against George Mason and Duquesne and some interesting topics going on in the A-10. What do you say, Gary? Um, I'm just saying you said interesting week, and I can't agree with you more. It was uh, it was a doozy this week, and that and that's just a light way to put it. Uh, before we get into those game intros, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms. At Rody Baseline, obviously you guys would know that if you're listening to the episode, make sure to leave us a five-star rating when doing so. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash Rody Baseline, and on Twitter, at Rody Baseline. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into those games, Andrew. So, uh, so Gary, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news first? Oh, see, this one's going to be a tough one. I'm going to go with the good news. Oh, good answer, because the good news is we won a game. And it was a good game to win. It was the VCU game, which you or I won 83 to 68, which surprised me, and I'm sure it surprised you that they were a lot that they were able to win so easily down in Richmond, Virginia, against VCU on Saturday afternoon. See, see, the thing is that we talked about it last week, right? We always play VCU tough, but it always seems like VCU plays very, very well, and then all of a sudden they kind of lose their shine a little bit when they play URI. Like they they know when they play URI, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, we have the most wins against VCU in the last couple of years too, uh, and are leading that series as of right now. But it, it shocked me at their performance, where you thought that VCU was going to come in as a a super powerhouse, but in the end, it, it was really the the game story for VCU was really just Bones Highland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And not for like the first half, it was what we expected it to be. It was supposed to be a dog fight. Turnovers on both sides, up and down pace, shots getting hit, defense being played, teams getting out to leads, other teams coming back. The first half had the making of another VCU URI Classics that we got so accustomed to, and the stats showed it. URI, VCU shot 44% from the field, 33% from the 30% from the three-point line in the first half. URI shot 48%. I think the outlier here in the first half that kept URI in the game was that they shot 72% from three-point land in the first half, and that's the greatest they shot in the first half all year. Yeah, I mean, obviously URI controlled uh, their tempo issues and and came out fighting in this one, which made me very happy. You know, I think a lot of us were a little worried about this VCU game, uh, a little concerned at the fact that we thought that URI was going to 
not come out swinging in this one and they kind of were going to sit back and that was definitely not the case. And I was really worried when that it was going to go downhill when VCU hit that buzzer at the half. But I don't know what was said in the halftime, but that URI team came out in the second half, shot like a missile, and they they took over the game and didn't look back. And it was amazing. That was probably, this is probably a strong statement, but it's definitely true. That was the best half of basketball URI has played all season. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me. We talked about this last week a little bit, but it was the Jeremy Shepard show. Yeah, the hometown like, return. Jeremy and- Shepard homecom- homecoming, and, and that was it. Like Jeremy Shepard came out fighting uh, just just what we what we thought would come happen in the Richmond game ended up happening against VCU, which is great. Uh, and, and even better in scoring 20 points. <laughs> yeah, and he had seven rebounds, which is vastly underrated. You got – I. Stat that jumped out me the most: your two leading rebounders were your guards. Fats Russell had nine rebounds. Jeremy Shepard had seven. Nobody else on the team had more than six. So, I don't know how your two guards are leading your team in rebounding, but that just tells you right there that those two guys came play ready to play. And like our buddy from VCU told us after the game, he goes, "Is Fats Russell gone yet? Because he killed them again with twenty three points." And that that the Fats Russell that we had against VCU was the Fats Russell that we expected all season, and for the first time in a long time, Fats Russell looked healthy. Exactly, I I think that Fats they they talked a little bit about Fats's injury, and he he's been struggling a little bit with the three point game, which is fine. You know, it's gonna take him a little bit to get back into his stride, but he also just looks healthier and healthier every game. And I feel like either he's he's working through the pain or he's he's basically just going out there, giving it his all, and just, just putting it in the back of his head that he has an injury, uh, which is great for us. And it, and it definitely, definitely helps the team, especially with that senior leadership. Yeah, and his clutchness, because he went to the free throw line 14 times and made 13 free throws. It was great to see him at the free throw line doing amazing things. One thing I do want to bring up before we move on to the next game and wrapping the VCU game preview up is URI looks like they found a lineup that is playing well together, looks great. Everybody complimented each other. It looked amazing on the court, and it shrunk the rotation a little bit, and it was what led to URI opening the game up in the second half. And that was with Malik Martin, Jeremy, Jermaine Harris, Fats Russell, Jeremy Shepard, and Alan Bertrand. That, that When that lineup was on the court, the ball was moving. The defense was incredible. They were turning VCU over, getting rebounds, limiting VCU to one shot, getting baskets. It just looked like URI basketball, and I hope that that lineup gets a lot more time this season together. And Ishmael Leggett looked amazing once again. This is the story that we keep bringing up. I think Ish is just getting more and more comfortable in that role. I know he's a freshman, but I know that he's getting more and more comfortable on this roadie team and the lineup changes make complete sense. We talked last week about how Cox needs to figure out a, a, a lineup and you know what? Changing things up a little bit when players are not doing that well can maybe lay a fire under some of them, you know, it, and it, it just makes sense. And I think that that is mentioned. You mentioned lineup changes because we forgot to mention that before this game, David Cox took Malik Martin out of the starting rotation and put Alan Bertrand into the starting lineup. It's kind of a, surprising change but it was a great change it worked out Alan Bertrand had a great game for URI he scored he had 13 points and he shot two of three from three pointers five from eight from the field goal in 30 minutes he played amazing basketball and 
it just goes to show that Alan Bertrand stepping up and it was a great game to see him do that. And I hope they keep that lineup looking up and Ishmael keeps getting his minutes because as much as we've been pressuring it this year, Ishmael reminded me a lot of Jeff Doughton. And if he's anywhere near as what Jeff Doughton was, Uri's backcourt is in great shape for the next few years. Yeah, I, I mean, I I just hope that these lineup changes can actually show something. Obviously, we know it's too early, especially taking him out. But but putting uh, Beatran in the lineup was was definitely beneficial. And URI does end up coming out with the win uh, at the Seagull Center against VCU. Uh, a huge win for the team. And, a, and I'll be honest with you, Andrew, and a win that I, I'm, I'm a little surprised about. I would say that I, I thought the VCU game was one that they would also have a little bit of trouble with. So it, it's great to see URI uh, pulling out uh, that win against VCU. 83-68, your final from Richmond. Yes, and with every good thing, one bad thing has to happen. And that happened on Wednesday night where I know a lot of you out there are looking at it and, oh, they made a great comeback and all. But if you're a Rhode Island fan, you should be embarrassed with that performance last night against the UMass Minutemen, where URI lost 80-78 to in overtime. But before we get into the game, there's two things I want to touch on, and we will not go back to them after this. The UMass announcers need to get over holding a grudge over last year's game with the blocking foul that was called, and tell those announcers that URI's color is not powder blue. It's keeny blue, right, Gary? Yeah, it's not powder blue. It is Keeney Blue, and there's no need to keep bringing up that every single time. I, I wish there was a, a a meter in the bottom right corner of the screen to count how many times they said last year and showed the clip. The clip got showed, I would say, about seven times during the broadcast. Like, I get it. We, I get it. I, I get it. Like, we, we had to watch the game on Nesson and on ESPN+. I understand that, and I get it was a UMass broadcast, but I know from, uh, from my ability that Stone Freeman, when he comments for URI, is a little bit in the middle. These announcers were a little too far towards UMass, which makes things a little more annoying. But it's not the point, right? I do want to preface this, right? We are going to go over this game. If you thought that URI played very well and deserved to win that game, you may want to turn us off. I'm just saying. Because in the end, this is this is not gonna it's it's not gonna turn to what you want us to be. We're gonna be real with you guys. It was a, a, a very bad performance. It was disgusting to watch, and, and, and it, it was just it was really, really hard to, to not want to close your eyes and shut it off. I texted Gary a few times last night that I almost turned it off, and we'll be real with you guys. We're recording this on Thursday night. We had talked about recording Wednesday after the game. Gary and I talked to each other on the phone, and neither of us were in a good mood good enough mood to record this episode last night for saying something that we probably shouldn't have shouldn't have said but like Gary said this game was ugly you or I deserve to lose that game and quite frankly it should not have gone to overtime you or I got ridiculously lucky that they were able to get it to overtime and quite frankly almost sent it to a second overtime my personal opinion the way that it ended last night was the icing on the cake Antoine Walker missing that layup yep and it, it's is I'm just gonna say this one thing. Is it sad that I, I I knew it wasn't going in? Is it sad that I knew it was going out? I knew we weren't gonna get that lucky. Like I knew it. 
the gods were not in our favor last night, and they shouldn't have been in our favor last night. You know, you are right. Well, I thought they were in our favor when Trey Mitchell missed that layup at the buzzer of regulation. I was like, because I remember calling you, I was like, oh, you guys somehow going to pull this game out, and they don't deserve it, and everybody's going to be happy when nobody should be happy with how this game went. The story of this game is the story of the last five games that URI has played. Terrible, terrible turnovers. I, I just want to bring this stat up, Andrew. It's not going to be pretty, and it's going to make a lot of people angry. URI in the last five games has 98 turnovers. 98 turnovers in the last five games. It's disturbing. Well, I'll take a stat that I know you got from where you got it from, and I'll raise you another stat. That 98 turnovers in the last five games, you take that and you spread it out throughout the entire season, they average 15.7 turnovers a game, which is good or bad. For 200th, 280th in the country out of 338 teams. Like, exactly. I know we harp, like, in these turnovers, it's one thing if the turnover is a dead ball turnover or it's a, there's, there's a such thing as good turnovers. But some of these turnovers last night, Jalen Carey just throwing the ball away, them getting their pockets picked. I remember one, and I went off on you about this last night. The only bright spot that was with this game last night was Mikhail Mitchell, which we'll get into later. But Mikhail Mitchell, the, I know he turned the ball over in the second half, and he just looked at the ball as UMass went to the ball. He just stood there and looked at the ball like, ooh, I don't have the ball anymore. I don't know what to do. That really irritated the crap out of me. That showed that you don't care, and the obviously the turnovers are an issue, and this team needs to get over it and figure it out. The the tough the tough part too was all those turnovers UMass was able to capitalize on. And they just like lead to a bad ending to the half, a terrible half for URI. And 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 then you jump into the second half and it's almost like it turns over a little bit because obviously Everything kind of kind of tries to fall into place. We're still turning over the ball. Some terrible early shots and deep shots. Uh, one by Allen Bertrand that annoyed the crap out of both of us. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um. Uh, Allen Bertrand did a lot last night that annoyed me. But but I I think he didn't have a, a a terrible game. And and you know the one person coming out of their shell the most last night. Who, who can hit a three out of nowhere, which makes me so happy. First of all, Antoine Walker had two threes made, which I'm proud of him for because I feel like he doesn't go for them often and got two of them, so shout out to him for that. But DJ Johnson with the clutch threes to keep us in that game. DJ, the only people – I'm back to harp on the turnover, John, because you brought up DJ Johnson. There was three people that played – four people that played last night that didn't have a single turnover. DJ Johnson – Ishmael Leggett, Jermaine Harris, and Malik Martin. Every single person on the rest of that team had multiple turnovers last night. So, quite frankly, I'd take Fats, those four, sit everybody else, teach them their lessons about turning the ball over. Let's end this turnover thing. Jeremy Shepard had five turnovers. He's your point guard. You cannot turn the ball over like that. It's just it's mind-boggling to see. But, yes, you brought up DJ Johnson. Him and Mikhail Mitchell were the only two bright spots of that game last night, and they were the only two reasons why you or I was in that game at the end. Exactly, like it's the that's that's the point right there. It's it just makes everything. It just makes it something needs to be done over these turnovers because it's gonna it's gonna bite them. It's already bitten them in the butt, and 
I know we keep harping on it, but until something needs to be done, and it doesn't all fall on the players. The coaches have to do a better job. I'm sick and tired of everyone coddling David Cox, TJ Buchanan, Austin Carroll, Kevin Sutton. Like, this is getting ridiculous. Guys, I, I, I love you guys to pieces. I'll go to war with you guys any day. But as a fan and as a season ticket holder, it's getting a little ridiculous to walk in knowing that your team's going to turn the ball over 20 times a game and miss free throws. Those are two of the things that you can, that you can control as a player and as a coach. So you guys need to fix it and fix it now before we lose any hope at having a March, even not even a March Madness run, an, an A-10 tournament run, because I know I don't want to lose on yeah, Thursday. Believe me, it, it, it's it's rough. For everyone who wants to know, obviously, uh, we'll get a little bit into the second half. Uh, Trey Mitchell finished with 16 points, uh, two steals, uh, and then seven rebounds. So uh, an okay game for him. The one thing that, that kept URI in this game. So URI was able to take, to go on an 11 0 run only because Trey Mitchell got his fourth foul with seven minutes left in the, in the second half, putting him on the bench for a good four to five minutes and allowing URI to capitalize on each possession on there. And, and, and that's the sad fact, right? If Trey Mitchell's in that game, we lose by another 20 to 30 points easily. The whole time we, we got, we got lucky and everyone needs to see that we got lucky. Like they, they take the momentum and then luckily for us, you know, UMass gets Trey Mitchell in the game and starts, you know, putting a fight in on there. Uh, and URI gets lucky and ties the game uh, with a three pointer from Allen B trend uh, with 10 seconds left. And then UMass almost gets the chance to win the game. Uh, the ball gets tipped in by URI. Luckily did not count, I almost, but it could have counted. Yeah. I, and you bring up that interesting point about Trey Mitchell and the fouls and URI going in that run. I almost think it was UMass saying, oh, we're up 15, 16 points. We know we can turn it on and letting URI back in the game. And quite frankly, I, that, and that just doesn't happen here. That happens all over college basketball. You get up a lot, and it's only natural. But like you said, if 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 Trey Mitchell doesn't get his fourth foul – that game gets blown out. And I also think that if UMass was a couple of years older, I don't think that game gets anywhere close because UMass would have the the veteran leadership and the leadership to keep your foot on the pedal and not let that happen because there was no reason whatsoever you or I should have been anywhere near that game. You or I should be embarrassed with how that perform- they performed last night. And quite frankly, they should be sprinting all day in practice and I would have had them walk back to campus from Amherst last night because it was that bad of a performance last night. And I just sat – I don't – I was just disgusted. That I think – and I told you this last night, Gary. That performance last night was worse than the blowout losses against Fordham and St. Joe's the last couple of years. It's just tough. And then going into overtime, it was – it seemed like both teams were just exhausted. Uh, miss after miss for the first two and a half minutes uh, for the game. And then obviously the scoring picks up. Uh, and then uh, – URI uh, obviously turns over the ball. What a shock. We turned it over. Big surprise. Uh, Jeremy Shepard turns over the ball. Uh, Carl Pierre gets the ball, gets fouled, misses one of the two free throws, uh, and then Fats takes the ball down, passes it to Antoine Walker with an open layup, and the ball bounces off the rim and out, and URI loses a heartbreaker, if you want to call it that, uh, in Amherst to UMass, 80-78 to in overtime. Just 
I I don't even know what to say. I I, I mean, we I want to fight for this team every time, right? I want to fight for everything that that we talk about on the podcast. But I, I will say that last night got a lot of thoughts sticking in my head that we need to work on things. And if things are not going to change, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going to start losing to these teams. We're going to lose to Fordham at this rate. If we keep up what we're doing, we're going to lose to them. Like it, it, it's, it's gotten me to that point. I don't want to jump. I'm not jumping off the train. I haven't jumped off the train at any point, no matter when we were doing terrible under Jim Barron or the rough years with Hurley and obviously, you know, everything from there, but it's just slightly concerning. It's getting more and more concerning as time goes. And the closer and closer that it gets to March, the the more and more I see our March Madness hopes just slipping away. Yes, exactly. But before we continue, I just on behalf of Gary and I, we love this team to death. We'll go to war with this team for death. This was no means to trash the team and everything. It was just us releasing our frustration and hope that you guys have some frustration that you want to relieve. So we're done letting loose. I don't know if it was a rivalry game in all of us, but it was just it was disheartening to see that performance last night. But as much as there was badness, there was a great matchup last night, and it was reciprocated after the game with a great sportsmanship moment between Trey Mitchell and Mikhail Mitchell. Those two guys battled it out last night, and as the inner big man in me, it was amazing to watch. Mikhail had 30, 34 minutes, 23 points, 6 rebounds. Trey Mitchell had 30 minutes. He had 7 boards, 4 assists, 16 points, 2 steals. Like that was that was big man basketball. That was a great matchup, and I just hope that the matchup in the beginning of February between those two is as special as that one was last night. Because fans, you got to pay attention to those two because that was you won't see many more of those matchups throughout a ten play or in general in college basketball. That was one hell of a performance by those two last night, and I really appreciated it. And they they appreciate it. They realized that they were going at each other all night, and it was a great performance. And I hope we get to see more of those over the next couple of years. And, of course, it wouldn't be a you're right, you mass game without some tension at the end of the game. Other than those two kind of saying, you know, great job to each other. There was a little pushing and shoving at the end of the game. We still don't know why to this broadcast and not like anybody is going to speak about it. But all I'm saying is that. When they come to the Ryan Center, it's going to be a, a, a tough battle. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if it's another close game. We always play UMass close. So I I, I take that with a grain of salt. URI loses uh, against UMass going 1-1 one and one in the two games this week, um, which isn't horrible, isn't great. We've gone over why we think it's not great. But I do think that there is some chances of of redemption in the games that we have coming up that we're going to talk about later in the show. But it's time now to go into our news around the A-10 segment uh, where we let you guys know what is happening around A-10 land. What do we got, Andrew? Oh, we had a busy, busy week out in the A-10 this week across all the entire country. First, we're going to start with our awards. Our St. Bonaventure Jr. Jaron Holmes was named A-10 Player of the Week. Well, St. Joseph's freshman Jordan Hall was selected as this week's Rookie of the Week. Shout out to St. Joe's. Woo-woo. They finally got something. And they got their first win. And they got a win this week, too. (laughs) Good for them. And, uh, unfortunately, St. Louis is still on a pause. They are hopefully to be getting out within the next couple weeks. Richmond is on a pause. Just got put on a pause this current week. Uh, GW was put on pause and came out of pause. 
All I know is Richmond and St. Louis, if they miss oh, St. Louis for sure, they're going to have some backloaded schedules, and it's going to be interesting to see how the A-10 does. We got uh, great news for the A-10 over the next couple of years. The NBC Sports and A-10 renewed their TV deal. That will include 25 regular season games and eight tournament games over the next few years. There was no exact year given, but I'm sure the A10 and NBC will keep that partnership going together. I'm I'm just I'm I'm just saying the the games on NBCSN that that's where we had that uh that overtime win against uh, Duquesne a couple years ago, and it's nice to see those networks because I feel like NBCSN is a more popular network than CBS Sports Network. Just saying, uh, so you know the A10 getting the exposure of being on national networks. I know as much as you know, Andrew, that a couple years ago it was really hard to find games on TV. Um, and I feel like nowadays a lot of the A10 is actually broadcast on a bunch of networks. So it's it's great to be able to watch A10 basketball around the entire conference uh, and not have to worry about the game not being on TV, uh, which I, I know makes us a little easier so we can keep an eye on other teams in the A10. Exactly, and I love the I love the NBC Sports Network, and I love the deal that they have with ESPN. Hopefully that we can keep these up over the next few years. And lastly, the as of... We just got this news about two, three hours ago, and Gary and I already canceled our hotel. The A-10 has officially moved the 2021 conference tournament from Brooklyn to a campus site, which is unknown. But the plan is to still have the 2022 tournament in Washington, D.C. And for all those who care, we have already looked as far out as you can book for hotels in D.C. is December of 2021. So we'll keep you posted on when you guys can start booking your hotels for that tournament. I just I just want to say that I'm I I have a, uh, a positive and a negative on this. You know, I'm I'm happy that they're not wasting the money uh, for the Barclays Center, especially if they can't have fans, if the protocols are so strict, and and who knows where we're going to be in March compared to now. Um, but I am bummed that it just means that Brooklyn kind of gets put on the back shelf for two years, already not being able to go to the tournament last year and this year does make me a little bit sad. And, and we're, I know Andrew feels the same way that I do. Uh, we're we're kind of sad that we're not going to get to see you know the usual people that we see around in the A10 tournament. So it it's going to be moved to a campus site which is undisclosed. Uh, there is some serious serious rumors going around that I've seen from multiple sources and heard from multiple so- sources uh, that the conference tournament has a very good chance of being at uh, the Siegel Center at VCU. Now, of course. You roadie fans and other fans are going to be upset because it is going to be at VCU. The reason they're looking at that is because the A-10 women's tournament is happening at VCU the week before. So it'd be really easy to not have to do two setups for tournaments uh, and minimize travel, so to say. Uh, so we don't know where that conference tournament is going to be held. Uh, it's still to be determined, but 2022 is going to be in D.C. And I know that St. Louis is also putting in a bid to hopefully host a tournament down there in St. Louis too. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see where the tournament ends up. Hell, there could be a third location that nobody really knows about, a la Ryan Center. I got one better for you, Andrew. And and I can't take full credit for this. I got to give a, a shout out to uh, to one of our listeners, Jay Coppa, who put out a great reason earlier. I don't understand why you, you don't have the A-10 conference tournament at Mohican Sun in a bubble. Like it worked so well for Bubbleville that I don't understand why you don't look and say, okay, well, we want to have it, you know, still on the East Coast, so to say. Oh, let's have it at Mohegan Sun where we can use a bubble. I, I don't understand. That's a great point, but I do, I 
think that there's other conferences. I think the women's, I think they do use Mohegan Sun, but I would love to see that Mohegan Sun. Even not, even not this year in particular, but in general, if the, I know after DC in 2022, it go, it's scheduled to go back to Brooklyn in 2023 and 2024, but no traveling wise, it would be great for us, but I wouldn't mind seeing the A-10 tournament at Mohegan Sun. It's a great area. You have a lot of nightlife. You have a lot of hotels in the area. Great facility to play basketball. It's a co- it's got a college feel to it. You can drink all day. You can drink all night. You can gamble money. I think that would be a great place for the A-10 to look at if they want to move on from Brooklyn after the 2024 season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough to figure out where they're going to actually go. You know, taking a look at previous locations, obviously Boardwalk Hall, where they had the conference tournament for so many years, needs to be renovated, as me and Andrew know, uh, from a lovely picture that we saw a couple, couple uh, days ago. Uh, but I do feel as though they need to find a, a, a location that they're going to pick to have it all the time. You know, is it going to be Brooklyn? Are they going to keep it in D.C.? Because DC, the D.C. area has a lot of hotels as well. Are they going to try Pittsburgh? Are they going to go to Philly where they used to have the tournament? Like, there, there's so many locations that they could pick. Um, but I almost want I almost want to see, like, a like I know that we ha- they had a contract where it was Brooklyn for a number of years, then go to D.C., then Brooklyn for a couple of years, and then D.C. and Pittsburgh mixed in between there. I want them to almost have a location where that's going to be where the tournament's going to be every year. Kind of like how the Big East has MSG all the time. Yeah, exactly. I think I think at some point, the money is going to take over. I know the ACC likes Brooklyn. I bet you at some point the ACC is going to want to get back up to Brooklyn. So it wouldn't surprise me if 2024 the ACC tries to get up to Brooklyn. And I, hey, I don't blame the Barclays Center for trying to get the ACC up there over the A10. They got bigger name schools. It's, it's, a, be- it's a beautiful is- arena, though. Like, it's a beautiful arena. Yeah, yeah. And I just think at some point the financial aspects of having to pay for an NBA arena as big as the Barclays Center is going to be, with everything going on, is going to be too cost-effective for the A-10. So I wonder if for a couple of years until the, URI, until the conference can get back on solid financial footing after the pandemic, if you'll go to a small arena like a Mohegan Sun or if they'll go to a campus thing for a little while or – who knows? Maybe you'll go to an arena that has nothing going on during March Madness Week, a la TD Garden in Boston. You just you don't know. It's going to be a wait and see. It's going to be very interesting over the next couple of years. And I'm sure the A-10 front office has a plan that they would like to see. But totally love that idea of the Mohegan Sun. <laughs> I thought it was really good. So I had to bring it up on the podcast. Shout out to Jay Kappa on that one. Uh, but yes, the conference tournament has been moved as of um, – Literally three hours ago, so to say, that we found out that that was true after bringing up last week after the rumors from the Richmond paper. But that is your news around the A-10. Just quickly before we jump into those game previews, uh, we are going to bring back questions next week. Uh, So we're going to set up a tweet on our Twitter at Roadie Baseline. We want to hear your questions. We have two of them that we have already for next week that we've unfortunately had to put off due to time constraints on the show. Uh, But we want more questions on the show. We want to hear from you, Roadie Nation, and we want to get your questions answered on the show. So make sure to tweet at us, at Roadie Baseline, your questions for next week's episode. Uh, So jumping into the two games that we have this week coming up, uh, two fun ones. Uh, We start out with George Mason on Saturday at 2 p.m., that game happening at the Ryan Center uh, on NBC Sports Network uh, against the George Mason Patriots. Yeah, George Mason... They're a decent team. They're six and five, two and three in conference play. 
they're not a real they didn't really have that much of a non-conference schedule they didn't play any like big shot teams average they beat they did beat UMass 93 to 92 in double overtime they've had a close couple of non-conference games against Dayton and VCU they're a hard team they're coming off a big win against LaSalle 75 to 42 it's it's definitely going to be an interesting game they're they're a young team they're a decent team they have some local talent as we've gone over in Tyler Golick. I, I just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. The I ended up watching the the Mason game last Saturday, and it was the Tyler Golick show. I'm just saying. I heard his name so many times get brought up by the announcers. It's not even funny. Oh yeah, absolutely. He he he's doing he's doing some serious work over there. I don't know what we were thinking. He's one of four players on George Mason that averages over 10 points a game. They have four guys that over average over 10. They have a guy who averages 9.9, AJ Wilson. But they're a they look like a they look like a just like their record. They look like a 500 basketball team. Nothing special, nothing crazy. They average the only they average 70 points a game, give up 69, so it's going to be a low scoring game. They everything on paper, they match up pretty evenly with their opponents. They shoot 50, 43% from the field. Their opponents shoot 42%. Um, they shoot 31 from three. Their opponents shoot 35. Rebounds, they get 37, give up 35. On paper, we always last few times we've beaten we've beaten George Mason's pretty good. But other than that, this is a this is a pretty decent team, and it should be an interesting game to see. We do want to give a shout out that we, I did forget to mention in the news. Javon Green of George Mason just did join the 1,000-point club, so congratulations to him. Yeah, it looks like they go about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. They go about 8, 9 deep as well. So it's going to be – it's gonna be there's going to be a lot of bodies moving in and out of this team. I remember A.J. Wilson. He's a pretty good kid. Uh, he's – I think he's their big. But, yeah, it should be – it definitely should be an interesting game to see how – how it goes down there against George Mason. It'll be a good test if they can. It's a good bounce back game personally after that UMass debacle. If you or I can get a solid couple days of practice on Thursday and Friday, come out swinging against George Mason. Like I said last week, going into that Dayton game, you or I needs to win a couple games. And it starts on Saturday with George Mason and next week against Duquesne. Yeah, I mean, I think the the story of this game, I just hope that Cox in practice was kind of, you know, giving them hell. Like they need to get that spark. It is a great bounce back game, but it's also going to be a tough game. And it's it's something that I can only imagine if I was to guess the spread's going to be Mason by three, right? And that's just a guess. And we got to hope that. Oh, I think URI is going to be favorited by mm-hmm. like six or seven games. Oh, okay. I'll I'll take that. I you just got the home court. I just and Mason Mason doesn't have. I think this I think this is where you're going to finally see that. The schedule that URI played in the non-conference will come out to effect. Well, and we just and we so. just gotta hope, Andrew. Like, it, it, believe me, I'm like I want to be a believer at this point, but it's gonna depend on what URI team we see come out against Mason on Saturday. And then Wednesday they head on the road to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a game against Duquesne. That game happening at 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus. Uh, not happening at Duquesne's arena because it's still under construction. Yes, yeah, they're playing at La Roche University, which is I'm assuming it's near Pittsburgh, so that should be interesting. Um, Duquesne, another team, three and four, two and three in the conference play. They didn't play anybody crazy in the non-conference. They did have a, they did have three of their non-conference games canceled due to COVID issues amongst those teams that they were playing. 
They did play UNC Greensboro and beat them and beat Arkansas Little Rock. Conference play, they started out slow. They didn't get to play Richmond or St. Louis. So they have played George Washington twice already and split that. They were both at George Washington. They split them on back-to-back days. Um, they lost to Davidson, beat Fordham by only a score of 48-45. to 45. So Dayton, and they lost to Dayton. Duquesne is always a tricky team. They're always scheduled, always supposed to be a lot better than they actually are. I know this year they were picked to finish above us. I don't know what it is. Duquesne on paper always looks good, but when push comes to shove, they can never get over that hump, huh, Gary? No, they always have like a tough time. I just I feel like everybody looks at Duquesne and goes, "Oh, they should be a really good team," but they just struggle. Like they they always have trouble against us. Like it it, it never ends well for them. Like I I feel like, but I also feel that this every year that we want to say that Duquesne is actually gonna come out and and make make it a game they, they can do that so I, I don't want to to our horn too much right like I don't know how this game is going to play out I'm hoping that it all depends more on how Saturday goes than looking at Wednesday which I hate saying right I want to know how we're going to play the those two games but I I, I can't say that this is exactly what's going to happen but I just really hope that they they play well on Saturday and and don't end up going to Duquesne on Wednesday and just falling flat once again. Yeah, because we know that if you Duquesne can come to play, we know that we've had history with that last year or two years ago when Stan Robertson hit that three at the buzzer to save us when we were nationally ranked. Duquesne can come to play. Keith Danbrot is a great coach. Sometimes it's a little crazy, but for whatever either last year it was with all the injuries the year before it was just the transfer not getting their waivers but Duquesne is one of those teams in the A10 that they can catch you on a good day they can catch you on a bad day but they haven't had very much luck the past past few years so you we got to take advantage of Duquesne while we can and hope that they can that we can get one more by them before we move on and they can finally turn their page around you got to feel for them they've had They've had some issues the last few years, and I hope that they at some point can turn it around because all good this conference needs as many good teams as possible. Like they only have two guys who average more than ten points a game in Marcus Weathers and Tavion Dun Martin, and on paper they're just like George Mason, evenly matched with their opponents. Their opponents scored sixty-five points a game; they score sixty-four. They shoot forty-two percent. Their opponents shoot forty. It's they don't shoot very well from three. They shoot 27% from three, so we do know that over the next that game that it won't be very many threes with us and them. They turn the ball over 13 times a game. Teams turn over the ball 13.7 times a game, so it's definitely going to be an interesting, interesting couple of games that on paper you or I, we will admit this, on paper you or I should win these next two games and we should be having a great week next week. To get 2-0, maybe have a couple surprises for you on next week's episode, celebrating a nice week, getting ready to move on to uh, reset the season and make that push for home, and you never know. Yep, I, I think that it's going to be two tough challenges for you, Ryan, in those games, and, and yes, on paper, we, we should be 2-0 next week, but but we need we need to almost take it take everything with a grain of salt and just hope that we can we can come out with those two wins, uh, two games. George Mason Saturday 2 p.m. on NBC Sports Network, and then Duquesne Wednesday at 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus. So those two games coming up next week, and with that, it is now time for Andrew's hot take. 
What do we got this week, Andrew? Well, we gotta we gotta change things up a little this week. I mean, it's not really that much of a hot take, but it is. We want to give a uh, we 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 focus a lot on the men's program, but we do want to give a shout out to the women's program. They're trying. They're having a season. They're doing the best that they can. They've been playing. They played a tough non-conference schedule. They're doing pretty well in the conference play. They're three and two so far to get out to conference play. Just want to give them a nice little shout out. Cover them a little bit. They uh, in their non-conference they played Providence and Penn State. They lost to Penn State at the buzzer, seventy to sixty-nine. That would have been a massive win. Conference play. They're on a. They've beaten LaSalle, UMass once. They split with. They're going to schedule to play UMass three times this year because of COVID problems. They just beat Davidson last week, sixty-two to forty-four. Which, by all accounts, is Davidson supposed to be a power in the A10. They're playing. They're doing the Richmond swing this weekend, like we did last weekend, playing Richmond and VCU on Friday and Sunday. But the URI women's team has been a laughing stock in for the last few years. But Tammy Reese seems to have gotten the program under is under great leadership. She's a great coach. I know. Gary and I had the chance to go to a URI women's game last year, which we had talked about doing, but just never did it. And we finally got to one last year. And the way Tammy Reese has those girls fighting every game, every minute, and her enthusiasm on the court is amazing to see. And I truly believe that she'll bring this program back to where URI standards are. And I told Gary this, it reminds me a lot of Dan Hurley when he was first starting out at URI. It's great to see, and we just wanted to give the women's team a nice shout-out, and we'll be sure to keep you guys updated on them throughout the rest of the season. I I just want to say that from the first moment that I met Tammy Reese uh, at one of our season ticket holder events, I knew that she she wanted us to just put our trust in her and and change it for the good. Like, she, when we first met her, she's like, oh, do you guys want to come to a practice? We'll schedule you guys to come to a practice one day. All this stuff, which she had just met us. She didn't have to do any of that stuff. Yeah, she talked to us for a solid 15 minutes. She just gets it. She loves the fans. The fans, it's everything I've gathered, love, they love her. It's just, it's so nice to see somebody who actually not only cares about the basketball and let's, let's not sugarcoat it. This is her job. She could just come in here, earn the check for three or four years, get fired, move on, go back to assistant coaching. She actually cares and it shows through the way her players are playing for her. I just think it's crazy that she hasn't been a head coach before, right? Like, realistically like she has just so much energy she she's so much about getting everybody together like i see her tweeting on at david cox and the team and they flip back like it's it's crazy to see i mean she does she also posts like crazy things on twitter like she she doesn't care she's such a happy soul and i think that that benefits the team greatly they they have a a, a great team i i got lucky enough to attend kind of like uh, an alumni zoom conversation that they had uh with her and a couple of the players um and also you know the men's team as well but she the way that she talks about this team was was just saying give me a chance I know we're not going to win the first year. I know we're going to have a tough time. But please allow me the opportunity that I'm going to make this team better. She has done some crazy recruiting. She's done some some crazy coaching. The the team's playing well. They had a little bit of a tough start in the season, but they've gotten back to it. They're, they're winning games. They're winning them by a lot. They're playing very well. Anything that they're losing is only by a slim margin, so to say. Like, it, I... I am so happy at this team, and I I love what they're doing. And it's something to keep an eye on because even though this podcast focuses primarily on the men's program, 
the women's team is coming for a fight, and there's a good chance you'll see them playing at the Seagull Center uh, in the A-10 tournament for the women's teams. I'm just saying. It is awesome to see the women's team back up and running again. Hats off to Tammy Reese. Hats off to Thor Bjorn for getting stealing her from Syracuse. Syracuse. We got her from Syracuse off their final, their women's final four run, and she's just been doing some ridiculous recruiting, and she's taking the A-10 by storm, and let's hope they can keep it up. And hats off to Martha Vargas for her – points her uh averaging 8.8 points a game i just i just want to say uh for all my uh my portuguese people listening uh marta vargas is from portugal and she played for uh befica who is a like national team and uh national like league team in a lot of sports including soccer and basketball uh so shout out to her because i was super excited to hear that (laughs) And I do apologize for messing up these names that I'm sure I will do, but I just want to give another shout-out to Imanu Tahani for averaging 14.9 points a game and Joanna Mousset for 11.6 games points a game. It's great to see that these guys these, – these, guys, these, these ladies remind me a lot of the TJ Buchanan, Xavier Mumfords, and EC and Hassan, for that matter. They're the building blocks of the program that will lead to the success – for years to come, and it's just great to see, and I hope Tammy Tammy Reese and company stick around for a while to see this through and get us back to a women's NCAA tournament and maybe upset UConn one day. Yep, I, I, I like that feeling, Andrew. So that wraps up this week's episode of Roadie Baseline. Don't forget two games. URI plays George Mason Saturday, 2 p.m. on NBC Sports Network, and then Duquesne Wednesday at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. We will chat with you guys next week. Uh, make sure to leave us a five-star rating on the podcast. And as always, go 